1: is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
0: www.brfcs.com. By the fans, for the fans, since 1996. Welcome to BRFCS Podcast Number 59. I'm Wen Waihu, the BRFCS editor. Joining me in the virtual studio today is Chief Reporter Cammie, and he'll be taking us through the latest happenings and goings-on behind the scenes at Blackburn Rovers. Two weeks ago, we were looking forward to the Millwall and Burnley matches. Of course, Millwall was the quarterfinal of the FA Cup. We had the chance to go to Wembley. Michael Appleton's record we also looked at, and we were looking forward to a period of stability under Michael Appleton. But... In the meantime, he's been sacked, rather suddenly, on Tuesday morning. In today's podcast, we'll be looking at the football and then the Appleton sacking, and uh, in particular, we'll be looking at the events surrounding his sacking and uh, the search for a new manager and one or two other issues pertaining to possible takeover of Blackburn Rovers. First of all, I'd like to welcome in Cammy. Uh, I nearly said good morning Cammy but it's good morning for me and uh, good evening for you how are you this evening
1: I'm alright yeah it's uh, obviously it's a different time for doing a podcast uh, it's absolutely freezing here uh, snowing outside really? and being a gale <laughs> Oh really yeah, <laughs> yeah uh, we've had horrendous weather uh, in 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 Lancashire over the last 24 hours and um, I've never known this kind of weather uh, at the end of March, snow and, and you know, sub-zero temperatures.
0: Amazing, amazing. Well, spring is most certainly on its way here. So, um, yeah, I don't want to wish ill on anyone, but uh, yeah, I'm glad I'm not in Blackburn at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds uh, pretty cold. Anyway, things down at Ewood have been uh, even uh, frostier, haven't they, this last week? Uh, we'll start off with the the football. Uh, two weeks ago, amazingly, we were looking forward to the possibility of going to Wembley. Uh, we had a, a pretty dogged performance at Millwall and would come away with a nil-nil draw. We had it all to play for uh, in the replay. Uh, you went along to that match, and I believe it was pretty dismal.
1: Yeah, it was. Um, or oh, I mean, the obviously the first match at the Den. That wasn't uh, the new dance sorry. That wasn't the best performance, and we were quite lucky in the end to uh, get away with uh, a nil-nil and bring them back to Ewood Park. Um, you're at home, you know, uh, with a potential quarter qualifi- semi-final against Wigan because the draw was made uh, before we we did our before our replay. So. What a fantastic opportunity uh, not only to play at Wembley but possibly even to, to make you know the FA Cup final which would have meant with United and City uh, well, United-Chelsea uh, versus City would have meant we would have got a Europa League spot if we'd got to the final. Um, so it was a fantastic opportunity. Um, everyone was looking forward to the game. Uh, fans were starting to dream about you know, a, a potential visit to to Wembley, uh, to Wembley for the semi-final um unfortunately um it was we've seen some really bad performances at Ewood over the last two and a half years and this was up there as probably the, one of the worst in that period um first off um we 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 offered no attacking threat um all we were doing was lumping the ball forward uh, uh to to Jordan Rhodes and Leon Best and and when you got Danny Shitu at the back for Millwall then that's you know playing to his strength he's a very limited defender but what he's good at is heading the ball and using his physical physical strength you know the strength he has so we played right into Millwall's hands uh they, they scored um i think it was after 30 odd minutes again it was uh, Shitu, uh from a corner Uh, We left him kind of unmarked and and he put them one up. So at half-time, I think people were thinking, well, this is abysmal. Surely we're going to get better in the second half. Uh, Nuno Gomez sort of came on. Um, There was a slight change in formation uh, with Nuno playing off Jordan Rhodes and Leon Best bizarrely playing on the left-hand side. Uh, But, you know, we we still kept lumping the ball forward and and it made it very very easy uh for for millwall and it was only the last six or seven minutes of the match where we put some concerted pressure on and uh um, you know unfortunately we couldn't get the the breakthrough and and uh, in the end you know millwall thoroughly deserved uh t- to beat us and you know, they'll be going to play Wigan at Wembley and um I, I personally was you know gutted because um i've always you know wanted you know with the new Wembley you know wanted to go and see Rovers play there and this was as good a chance as we got to get i think and and we blew it you know and for your know, fair play to Millwall uh, over the two games they were by far the best better side but um I was left, um, you know, disappointed um, that you know we didn't give Millwall more of a game uh, than, than we did. It was very, very disappointing. Yeah. I think I, I can take defeat, uh, but when you know the tactics aren't right and and you know we didn't really put up a massive fight with with, with, with Millwall. You know, uh, we made it quite comfortable for them, and you know they deserve to win. But um, it was you know a very very Poor performance and uh, and you know the crowd was poor as well. I think there were only eight thousand fans at the ground. So you know there was five or six thousand Rovers fans for a cup quarter final. Um, I think this shows what pop potentially could happen next season. You know with, with you know with the, this was a cup quarter final and and we only mustered six thousand odd fans. So you know. Um, I think next year the the season ticket sales are going to be you know very very low particularly after what's happened this week
0: mm. uh, good luck to millwall but uh, from from our perspective uh, it was already something that we we were discussing last uh, podcast uh, about Michael Appleton's tactics. Um, he'd got the defense sorted out and'd we'd, um, we'd managed to Shut up at the back, um, but going forward, we, we just don't offer anything. Uh, he Failed to score basically since the uh, s- since the run in, in the FA Cup started. He scored against Peterborough, was not it? Two goals against Peterborough, and that I hadn't managed to score. So uh, going forward, it sounds as though uh, you know we we just were you know,
1: pretty clueless. Yeah, it was a very, very basic tactics, you know. Um there was no finesse or anything. Literally all we were get, all we were doing was getting the ball with Han and Dunley. Uh Hanley and Dan, sorry. Uh, Hanley is <laughs> yeah. Mikey is he started this uh, trend on Twitter uh, calling uh, Dan and Hanley Dunley. <laughs>
0: <laughs> the partnership,
1: so that's that's in my head. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the, it was a it was very basic tactics. Uh, Dan and Hanley were getting the ball at the back, and literally they were hoofing it forward. You know, when Sam used to do it, they used to be the long ball, but it was in a more controlled manner. Yeah, you know, with the full backs and yeah, Unzondi sometimes pushing up or or you know. Um, Jason Roberts up there trying to hold it it was in a more controlled manner mm. but this was like just smack it forward you know mm. whenever they got the ball and that's what we did you know yeah, and yes. and Millwall you know we made uh, Shitu look like a world class defender you know but that was because we were playing to his major strength which is you know heading the ball you know he must have Headed everything, and and when you got poor Jordan Rhodes up front, you know that's not his game. You need to get the ball to his feet and use his clever movement, not smacking it, you know, sixty yards and asking him to uh, have a physical battle with with uh, Danny Shitu. You know, there's always going to be only going to be one winner. So yeah, I mean that. I mean, like like you said, when you know the defensive side is much more was much more stable, but the attacking side of things was pretty non-existent, not just in that game, but in a number of other games, uh, Bolton away, you know, we were again, very, very poor um, going forward. But, you know, Appleton, the thing in his defense is since January, we've been had a hell of a lot of games. You know, we've been playing pretty much Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday. So he has had no time or sorry. He had no time to work with the players on the training pitch because all they were doing was game, rest, game, rest, game, rest, and you know that's been going on since January. So I think the plan was for Appleton was he wanted to get through that period. Uh, you know, there was no time on the training pitch, but he was going to use these next two weeks with the international break because most of our you know players are, aren't away on international duty. So he was going to use. These two weeks to do some real work with the team in terms of the attacking shape, uh, but you know, as what's happened, you know, he never got that chance. So yeah, it has. It was concerning the way we were playing, uh, particularly the style of play, and and you know, you know, everyone was was saying that. But I think people were prepared to give him time because it's not really his squad. We had a lot of injuries, and you know, he didn't. Have much time to work with the players due to the sheer number of games. Mm,
0: yeah, yeah. You are mentioning injuries there. Uh, somewhere in the region of twenty twenty one injured players. Um, is that uh, is that an accurate assessment? Are these real injuries, or are there other issues uh, at, at, uh, at play here?
1: No, no. I mean, there have been a heck of a lot of injuries, and I was talking to uh, one of the I know a guy who works he's a he's a fitness guru really and he works uh for football and rugby and cricket you know he's he's a freelancer and what he was telling me was what's probably happened is under Keen these players got away with murder, and he was saying if with footballers if you give 'em an you know an inch they'll take a mile so if they can get away with uh not doing the the you know nitty gritty work in terms of fitness then if you allow them to get away with it they'll 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 most of them will will try it on and 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 take that opportunity so what he was you know speculating is that under um Keane these players weren't doing a lot of fitness work and they were getting away with murder and when Appleton came in he's a, a disciplinarian and he wants his team to be fit and and you know he worked them hard so he's put in a new training regime and so the workload that the players were doing in training would be high intensity kind of work which you normally only do in pre-season and uh, you know you you build your base for your fitness in pre-season and then you just keep things topped up throughout the season well you know, Appleton didn't have that luxury so he's come in he's had a look and he's seen that these players are not up to the fitness levels that he wants. So he's got them doing high-intensity training. And what's happened is, with the sheer number of games and players not getting proper recovery, on top of the body being pushed uh, to the limit due to these high-intensity training sessions, what's happened is we've had a lot of muscle-bound injuries. This is what this guy was saying. And that's a telltale sign. Of of this kind of training um, and the muscle bound the calf injuries hamstring etc so that's what he was speculating that because they weren't very fit then Appleton's come in he's put in a new training regime which will most likely be very high intensity training coupled with the number of games they were playing has led to a large amount of muscle bound injuries yeah of course,
0: the, the argument is that uh, if, if that is the case, then he uh, shouldn't be doing uh, pre-season, middle of the season. or t- In this case, towards the end of the season. Maybe he should have just uh, uh, kept, kept us top uh, top, as it were, kept us going until the end of the season, just limped along. But, uh, yeah. It's a bit late now,
1: isn't it? A bit late. I think it possibly we thought, well, these guys just aren't... And this is the thing we were saying for a large part of the season, why are our second half performances not as good as the first half? And and I think he came in and he saw that. and He said, "Well, these guys just aren't fit enough." Mm. So you know, you know, the the, the thing is, the what did you know the Burnley game, which we're going to talk about, it proved what he was doing was was kind of working in terms of fitness because you know we went we got the equaliser in the ninety fifth minute. You know, so they were you know the fitness levels were improving, but you know with the number of games and you know the recovery etc that's i think you know possibly had a negative effect on on performances
0: yeah as you say we uh, went into the burnley match very much concerned that we were going to lose our 34 year record of not having lost to them and uh, we sounded as though we we put in a pretty poor performance yet again but in the 95th minute, David Dunn pops up and uh, uh, scores the equaliser. Unbelievable. Um, how, how was the uh, performance as a whole?
1: Yeah, I mean, it was, first of all, the atmosphere at the ground was electric. When I haven't seen that kind of atmosphere for a very long time at Ewood. It was absolutely electric. The Burnley fans were up for it. Our fans were up for it. Even you know, going into the ground. uh, So walking down Bolton Road, uh, Rovers fans were singing and and chanting uh, anti-Burnley songs. So, you know, even before you got into the ground, the atmosphere was good. Uh, Prior to kick-off, about five minutes before, the the ground was bouncing. I think I tweeted as the players came out that if they don't get inspired by this, then nothing will inspire them. Um, What we did was... First off, Burnley were the far better side. Um, you know, Again, they kind of dominated in terms of the, they're the ones who created the good chances. What we did different was we did try to pass the ball more in this game. So whereas against Millwall, we were smacking it long uh, in this game, the defenders were taking the ball and we were trying to pass it. But again, we weren't really offering any attacking threat. Uh, so we were passing it and nice, pretty patterns in midfield, but the final ball was lacking, and again, uh, Burnley scored from another set-piece, another one of the defenders, he he headed it, came off the post, and he was the first to react, uh, to put them 1-0 up, and again, at half-time, although we passed the ball more, we hadn't really offered any attacking threat. Uh, dunny uh, w- uh, was by far the best player on the pitch um, you know, at, at half-time. So second half, we came out. Uh, again, we started the second half, we weren't really putting any huge amount of pressure on Burnley. They were coping with it quite well. Uh, mm-hmm. Then, you know, obviously, they got a moment of madness by by the player, got... Burnley were down to ten men. Um, I forget the name of the player who was sent off, but he made a very, very rash challenge. You know, no need to make it because the ball was going towards our Rovers penalty area. He came flying in and completely missed the ball, and he'd already been booked, so that was his second yellow. So they were down to ten men. But again, you know, we had thirty odd minutes, um, but for about you know eighty. Until the 80th minute, we weren't really, again, causing them many problems. They had the defensive side of the game pretty well sorted and uh, we were finding it hard to break them down. Uh, Nuno G- Gomez came on for the last five minutes and that seemed to change things. We threw Gomez on and Dan went up front and obviously we had five minutes of injury time and uh, you know, a ball flicked into the box uh, Jason Lowe gets a touch, Dunny was offside, <laughs> but the uh, linesman completely missed it, and he turned and smashed it into the back of the net. Cue again, wild celebrations that you would, uh, in my time watching Rover, the only time I've seen that kind of wild celebration was uh, in 1995, when... We played Newcastle on on VE Day and and we beat them one nil and Shearer scored. It was that level of celebration. I think because the fans didn't want to lose to Burnley, we had that record. Uh, it was really really important for fans uh, to try and maintain that. And uh, or, you know within that, the, the best thing was the Burnley fans thought they'd won. Uh, they thought they'd you know that nightmare run for them was over. They were doing a Poznan kind of uh, bounce in in the Darwin end. So I think they felt that, yeah, we've, we've finally done it. And then deep, deep, deep into injury time, uh, Dunny popped up and got us a, an equaliser. And about time we scored a late goal. The amount of game goals we've conceded this season in the 95th minute, 94th minute. So, uh, you know, they say these things, even set themselves out. And uh, thankfully for us, it was against Burnley yeah that's brilliant but you know the fans were brilliant uh, when uh, we never got on the team's back even when we were going to injury time you know 1-0 down uh, the atmosphere at the ground was brilliant and and I, i'm i'm you know i'm sure that it was that atmosphere which you know pushed the players forward to give it one last go in in injury time and uh, you know we got lucky but you know we've maintained a record uh, uh, and, you know, even with all the turmoil we've had, Burnley still can't beat us, and yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that's something to be proud of.
0: Yeah. And uh, the the best thing is that uh, first of all it was David Dunn who scored, and the other thing was that he was half a mile offside with uh, at least one or two others, I believe.
1: Yeah, he was offside definitely. You know, when when Law touches the ball, he, he looked you know offside, and and linesman missed it which was great for us. Yeah. <laughs> Not so great for Burnley, but, you know, uh, again, we've had some really dodgy decisions this year. So, uh, you know, we've, all our uh, luck came in that one moment and it was very, very timely. And Duny was superb throughout the game. You could see what it meant to him. He was really good in the uh, FA Cup tie. He just never got any support from his teammates. He was in tears, actually, uh, when he went off uh, after we lost to Millwall and Burnley fans were singing, uh, I think they were singing, you would Be Crying in a Minute. Well, <laughs> it was them who were crying in the end. Uh, yeah. And I was so pleased for him, you know, because he was superb against Burnley. And to get that equaliser so late on in front of the Burnley fans, uh, absolutely fantastic for him. Absolutely fantastic.
0: Brilliant. Yeah. Uh, and in the wake of that uh, match, uh, he gave a rather forthright. Interview and um, he, he was intimating that there were reasons other than injury that uh, had kept him out of the side this season um, a couple of days later uh, and uh, Michael Appleton was sacked. Um, I don't know what uh, what the relationship is between those two events, but uh, uh, could you just tell us uh, how how you saw the sacking? Uh, it was early on Tuesday morning when news started to filter through. I believe, yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, last week I checked with Pune. You know, after we uh, lost to Burn uh, to Millwall, yeah, um, I was checking with my sources in Pune to see what the owners were thinking because I thought you know they won't be happy because I think they'd wanted a trip to Wembley as well, and that you know my sources were saying they weren't. They were disappointed that they'd gone out and and you know, it was, you know, something they were looking forward to but uh they understood, you know, that these things happen and and um you know they were focusing on the fact that they'd beaten Arsenal and uh, to get to this quarter final so this was like a bonus and while they were disappointing they disappointed uh they were you know sort of still sporting Appleton and and uh, were hoping that, you know, we'd we'd turn the corner sooner or later, so so I didn't see this coming uh, funnily enough uh, uh, a guy on Twitter on Sunday evening uh, told me uh, that he'd heard that from someone at Sky, he's got a contact at Sky Sports and he'd heard through him that Appleton would be sacked uh, this week um, um, so I said to him look, I doubt it, but with Venkis you never know, but I would be very, very surprised because there's absolutely n- nothing to suggest that you know they were going to to sack Appleton, and the, yeah, they were disappointed with some of the performances. But uh, the way Appleton was also talking, you know, about long term and and putting structures into place and the summer and you know building a squad again, you know, he was talking like a man who'd been given some kind of remit by the owners. Uh, to To look at things in a more long term basis. So, you know, I didn't see this coming. And uh, you know, on I heard a few other rumors on Monday again to say that Sheby wanted him out, and and that this, this could actually happen. But um, I still thought I doubt it. You know, not not with nine games left. So when the news broke on um, Tuesday morning, I was. Actually, in a meeting uh and my brother um, texted me to say that um uh, the son were reporting that Appleton had been sacked, and had I heard anything um I quickly got out of that meeting <laughs> and uh made some phone calls and and was told yeah you know he's he's been sacked, and that an um, official announcement was imminent and uh, I was shocked to be honest that um that they you know, decided to to sack him um you know particularly as he'd been talking long term he'd bought his own staff in he'd been looking at um bringing further uh, backroom stuff in on the uh, sports science side of things um you know there was i don't think he was expecting it but it looks like uh, again from from what i've heard and from local and national media reports that uh Shebby has convinced them you know Shebby and the owners basically have um talked and between them decided to sack him and it it's ludicrous to be honest I, I think I've made my views known on 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 the forum and on Twitter um how can you sack somebody after 67 days um, it's just ridiculous uh, yet yeah, the results haven't been great but you know he's been honest he's identified the problems he was trying to fix them. Uh, you know, the style of football hasn't been great, but you know, if you've appointed him, you know, you've got to give him more than sixty-seven days. Um, you know, look at Doogie Friedman. He uh, took over at Bolton, and at one point they were in the relegation zone or out, just outside relegation zone on goal difference, and you know, Bolton didn't sack him. They stuck with him. They knew that he was changing things at Bolton and he was uh, trying to build a, a different style of play and bring his own players in and that, that takes time and you a know, few games later uh, he slowly turned things around and now they're possibly going to get into the playoffs um, and you've got to give people the time to, to t- change things around, particularly at Rovers because we had keen as manager for two years, the, the club's You know, structures were all smashed. We had no scouting network. The um, backroom staff had all gone. You know, the players didn't know what was going on. The executive structure at the club is dysfunctional. You know, so you, you know, I think Alex Ferguson would struggle at at this club with with the way we are. So, you know, a manager needs time. And, uh, yeah, results weren't great, but he had a lot of injuries. He hasn't had much time on the training ground, and you know he seemed to to have identified the problems listening to his interviews. So, you know, you know, I would have given him at least till the end of the season and then made a decision. Uh, but to when they did, uh, it was it was ridiculous. And you know, I don't know how much of the media coverage you've caught in Japan when, but here the uh, media have been going crazy everyone's lambasting uh, uh and finally the media are s- seeing what the fans have been uh, saying for the last two years that um you know Venkis are, are destroying this club i think it was paul haywood who's um, a times journalist he called it industrial sabotage what vinkies were doing and and there's been a massive media backlash uh, your know, tv uh, radio radio 5 live are doing something radio 1 uh, flagship news program newsbeat are coming to uh rovers on monday uh, to interview fans there's been a massive backlash from the media uh, your know, look uh, to say what the hell is going on at Blackburn. yeah
0: yeah yeah, I haven't uh, picked up anything here locally in Japan, but of course, uh, courtesy of the message board and the internet, uh, I've been uh, noting how just about everyone seems to be uh, onto this. Uh, the Independent, Guardian, Times—yeah, unbelievable. Now, you're just saying there that uh, it is. How did you find out? When
1: were you shocked,
0: or uh, how did I find out? I, I think it was a. a was it your email?
1: Yeah, I sent an email um to you.
0: That would have been the first I know, knew of it. Yeah. It's it's, it's one of these things with Vink is uh, expect the unexpected. I mean, I, I, I was shocked, but, you know, it, it's kind of par for the course. You just expect them to do absolutely nutty things. Um, uh, interesting thing for me was uh, the return of Shebby. I think you'd... Uh, You'd said that Shebu was coming back from holiday, and uh, you know the timing of him coming back from holiday, as it were, and uh, the, the actual sacking. Uh, just, just wondering whether you could enlighten us there. Um, just before that, you were saying uh, his uh, backroom backroom team have gone. Um, yes, basically uh, the 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 whole support staff has been gutted now. Uh, Ashley Westwood's gone. Luke Dowling has gone. Darren Moore has gone uh, I yes. think that Chris Neville the, the, the sports science uh, guy is still there and uh, the goalkeeper coach John Keely is still there but even so that's uh, uh, four of them have, uh, have just been taken out straight away so if they're going to be continuing to the end of the season just with Gary Boyer it um, doesn't have much support does he um, anyway yeah,
1: Boyer Phillips. Partnership again, but yeah. yeah, I mean, there's no sport and you know, I don't know if you've picked up, but uh, from what I've been told, and it's, I think it's been reported as well, the way the sackings was done was again a disgrace. Uh, yeah. This happened when Berg was sacked, and and the and the sports staff, you know, found out from news outlets. Well, this time Appleton arrived for. Uh, he He had a a meeting about the academy and what they were going to be doing with the academy uh, so he arrived and you know shebby didn 't even have the um, guts from from reports to hand him uh, a letter you know or talk to him face to face. He sent a member of staff or he left it with one of the receptionists, and they handed him a letter you know just informing him that he'd been sacked and there were uh, envelopes for the others as well so you know there was nothing done face to face it looks like Appleton didn't has never talked to Shebby in his time at the club Um and you know it was just a a, a classless way of, of sacking someone you know, you know we get used to this but it still doesn't make it right you know the way that the likes of Black and uh, you know were, were sacked when Berg went were, was was not very good and and this again was was not good you know if you're going to sack someone you should have the decency to come and see see the person and talk to him face to face.
0: Yeah, it's disgraceful, isn't that? Absolutely disgraceful. And uh, Sheby's return um, was was it a, an actual holiday he was on or is that just a euphemism? Uh, because. Uh, I understand that Shebby may have been away looking at some of the legal implications of uh, Appleton's appointment. Um, what uh, what do you have on
1: that? Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm I'm not sure what where he was. I I know he was away from the club, and you know, being told that he was back in Malaysia, so no reason to doubt that. But there was this bizarre report in the Independent and. Uh, You know, independent of very, very um, reliable newspaper, they don't just print sensationalist stories. Um, So I give it more credence. But it looks like what they were reporting is that he had some legal advice uh, regarding Derek Shaw, and it seemed to him that Derek Shaw didn't have the authority to appoint Appleton as manager. This is what his legal people had said, but. Um, You know, if that's true, then you've got to ask, you know, who are the owners here? Because you know, any decision that's made has been approved by the owners. So it doesn't matter. You know, the owners could ask the tea lady to to appoint a new manager. You know, if they they approve it, then then they could say right to the tea lady, uh, right, we want you to go and appoint the new manager. You know, it's ultimately the owners' decision, not Sheby's decision, not Derek Shaw's decision, not Paul Agnews, it's the owners who decide who the new manager is not, you know and then they can delegate that that authority to to Shaw in this case, you know, they wanted Appleton and they asked um, Shaw to do the deal, so I mean it's bizarre, but with, this, with what's happened at this club it's just, you know, bizarre things after bizarre, but if that report is true, then, you know it's it just weird, you know. What, so what if uh, Shaw appointed him? You know, if the owners have get, delegated that authority down to Shaw, then then he has every right to to go and appoint a manager. Mm. I mean, that's like in any organisation. If my boss said to me, uh, "Right, Cameron, you, I'm giving you the authority to appoint uh, a sports editor," you know, then I'd go and do it because that's what the boss has said. You know, the owners have said. Go and go and get a sports editor, and and you know that's the way things work. You uh, in this country. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's incredible. I mean, is it possible that uh, the suggestion is that uh, Derek Shaw did not have the authority from the Venkis from Mrs. Desai that he just did it off his own bat? Is is that conceivable?
1: I I, I mean anything's conceivable at, at this club, but mm. well. You know, if they didn't know, then they'd have sacked him, wouldn't they? <laughs> you can't just go, uh, you know, an executive can't just go and sign any manager, you know. who's to If if we're going down that route, then who's to say that uh, uh, the owners are happy with Appleton sacking? <laughs> you know, Chevy might have just come back and said, right, I'm sacking you. You know, so, uh, I hope that isn't, you know, but I, I don't think that's true, you know. I don't think that's the owners true. understood for it, to be honest. Um, I think, he had the mandate from the owners to uh, appoint a new manager, and they wanted Appleton, and that's what he did. Mm. Okay. But you know, this is not a normal football club, so uh, where we think now, that's just too crazy that that could have happened, you know, crazy things happen at this football club, so so, so uh, anything is possible, but I'd be hugely surprised if that's true,
0: yeah, yeah. and uh, the. League Managers Association chief executive uh, Richard Bevan has been uh, commenting uh, widely in, in the press uh, about the Appleton sacking, um, making his thoughts clear. Uh, you, You've—I uh, I guess that that was uh, on Sky Sports, was it over there?
1: Yeah, and uh, it was a, a statement that the LMA uh, released. They were talking about. The number of sackings as well that's happened, not just at Rovers, but yeah. throughout yeah. The leagues. Uh, but he specifically focused on Rovers, saying that, you know, you've got to sort this out. You can't have all these short term, you know, measures. You've got to look at it medium, long term. And he was expressing uh, a huge concern at what was going on with Venkies and, and uh, Ewood, you know. Yeah. Uh, so So it was good that the LMA released such a strongly worded statement.
0: Mm -hmm. Now, where does this leave uh, Shebby and Shaw and Agnew? What I call the Shebby-Shagnew shenanigans.
1: Yeah, I mean, from the outside looking in, it looks like the uh, executive team at at Rovers is is, dysfunctional and that's being me being kind, you know. Uh, Appleton was sacked, and no statement. It's what ten o'clock at night on Friday now. So four days since the Appleton sacking, there's still not been an official statement on the Rovers' official website to say that Gary Boyer's the caretaker manager. Now I know it is him, but you know where's the communication and Loads of media have tried contacting the club, and it's a, just a wall of silence. They're not denying anything, they're not confirming anything. Uh, there's been all sorts of rumours here in Blackburn about Shaw resigning, Agnew resigning, uh, you know, all sorts. And it's pretty obvious, you know, that there's been a massive breakdown between Shaw and Agnew. Uh, and and Sheby Singh, you know, uh, unfortunately, where I sit, I can't see the directors box. But from what I'm told, even on match days, Derek Shaw and Paul Agnew sit in one directors box, and Shebby sits in a different area. So there's complete breakdown. Um, again, reports in the local media that Shaw and uh, um, um, Shebby haven't talk talked since January. So you've got an executive structure. That's completely dysfunctional, they're infighting, and I have gotta say it looks like they're not they haven't got the best interests of the club at heart. It's a power struggle that's going on, and personally, I would remove the three of them and you know bring in an experienced football administrator. I know we've said this in the past, and let that person run the club but while you've got these three people at the club, seemingly. Playing politics, the clubs is never going to move forward because what'll happen is you know, like Berg was appointed, um, and that was pretty obvious that it was a shabby appointment or a shabby-led appointment. Uh, eventually, he lost games, and you know, Sean uh, Agnew convinced the owners to allow them, you know, you know, when Berg was sacked, they allowed them to be involved in getting the next manager in. So Appleton comes in and suddenly Shebby's sidelined and Shaw's running the uh, running things and he's bringing players in and he's, you know, working with Appleton. Again, bad results and Appleton's sacked and suddenly Shaw and Agnew are now out of the picture and Shebby's running the show, so he'll now most likely be involved in appointing a new manager, whoever that is. If that goes wrong, will Shaw and Agnew try and get favour with the owners again and wrestle back control. So it's a vicious circle that's going on and the club's not moving forward. The only way I can see the club moving forward uh, and the only way Venki can salvage anything from this situation is if they sack all the three of them and bring an experienced football administrator in and say to that football administrator, you're the chief executive you run the club for us. We'll give you instructions, but you know, you, essentially, you're running the club. That's the only way they could start to retrieve the situation. Uh, honestly, when Keane was sacked, I thought, you know, at least we, we may be able to get a football club running again in a some kind of positive manner. Uh, but things haven't really changed, and and you know, um, shebby' is a. a you're causing problems. Shaw's causing problems. Agnew's causing problems. Uh, the three of them, in my opinion, need removing, and a experienced person bringing in. Because otherwise, we're just going to be going around and around in circles.
0: Yeah. What do you think the possibilities are of uh, Derek Shaw and or Paul Agnew resigning or or being relieved of their duties uh, in the coming weeks? There are some pretty strong rumours going around.
1: Yeah, um, I mean, I've heard the same you know, rumours and um, some of my sources are telling me that they expect Shaw to be leaving very shortly and Agnew to be following him. I think some of it's related to possibly uh, your owners not being happy with the way they've negotiated contracts, etc. So I think it's a very complicated situation, but everything... I'm hearing, and and you know, there's lots of rumours, and uh, people are in and around Ewood, and the owners are are saying that they expect you know both of them to 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 leave. Uh, but this event is Vinkers we're talking about, so you know, until it's officially announced, <laughs> uh, uh, I would you know I would just you know, hold fire. But everything is su- suggesting that them two are going to leave, but. To be honest, even if them two leave, it still won't address the problem because Shebby will still be there. And for me, he's just as big a problem as the other two. So uh, while he's at the club, I personally believe we won't move forward. So he needs removing as well. If them two go, he needs removing, and then someone experienced bought in, and then we've got a chance. Yeah, but you know, to be honest, Venki's I think are past the. They're beyond the point of your know, return. They, they, I don't think they can retrieve the situation. And really, the only way, that, you know, even if they bring an administrator in, etc., um, I still think the only way they can now, the only option they have really is they, they sell the club because the fans. That's it. You know, they can't repair the relationship with the fans and with the media as well. Really, um, so I think the only option the only way you know they can retrieve the situation is by selling the club
0: yeah, yeah. Now, um, just on the financial side a few weeks ago finally the compensation for um, Steve Keen was uh, agreed on I think 1.3 million was it somewhere in that region
1: yeah that's right yeah
0: yeah and uh, now we've got a uh, news that Henning Berg is going to be uh, taking them to the High Court next week for £2 million uh, in compensation and uh, it's thought that uh, Michael Appleton's compensation will also come to somewhere in the region of half a million pounds Uh, and then of course there's the the three others of the backroom team who will also be getting uh, uh, a fair whack.
1: Yeah. in addition to the ones that were Eric black etc., as well
0: <laughs> of course of course yeah and then if uh if they do get rid of Derek Shaw and paul Agnew as well um you know that's that's even more money to to come out in in compensation it's quite quite incredible way to to run a business isn't it uh i don't I don't see how they can uh, well i mean it's not sustainable is it and <laughs> um, They're losing in the region of £2 million, uh, it's thought, uh, per month.
1: Yeah, around about, that's what the figure was, yeah.
0: Yeah, £2 million. It's uh, incredible that uh, that we're still going. uh, Things must come to a head sooner or later, and uh, um, I've got this feeling that things are going to move on pretty pretty quickly in the next uh, few weeks. Um, On that score... Uh, we've had some news coming filtering through that various um, consortia or um, interested parties are in in the uh, in the wings waiting. Uh, ProBiz has been mentioned. Uh, Seneca uh, with Ian Battersby and Ian Curry has been mentioned. Um, if we can just move on to that, the name of ProBiz came up uh, as a, as a po- possible uh, takeover uh, partner or consortium or whatever. Um, wh- what uh, what news do you have on that?
1: Uh, I can't talk too much about it because I'm not uh, you know 100% sure of the facts and, and I don't want to be putting stuff out there that's not been properly researched but what I do, I'm pretty sure of is if Venkis decide to sell the club at some point, then probies, because of the relationships they've built with Venkis and, and etc. They would stand a very, very good chance of being the one that they actually sell sell the club to. Now whether they sell you know a, a controlling stake, so for example, they sell maybe sixty-seventy percent of the club. And they keep thirty percent Venkis keep thirty percent for your know, saving face in India and using Rovers as a marketing tool you know that that's open to debate, but I think if they did do sell it might be under that kind of model and that ProBiz would probably stand a very very good chance of of being the ones that they uh turn to and and, and sell it to you know, but a, a lot has got to happen before we get to that position. But with the way things are heading, uh, you know, in terms of what's happening off the pitch, the money they're hemorrhaging, the relationship, etc., that they've got with the fan and the uh, criticism now that they're getting from all quarters, you know, you know, maybe in the summer uh, something could ha- could happen.
0: Yeah. Um- at the moment, there's no confirmation whatsoever that ProBiz are interested in taking over. Is that correct?
1: That's right, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and how about Seneca?
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, Ian Battersby was kind enough to have a chat with me. I've had, a, I've stayed in touch with Ian uh, for the last year, really. Um, and, um, you know, Seneca were interested in buying the club last May. That's when the Ilias Khan Thing went public, um, and you know they've been there all the time. Uh, they've tried absolutely everything to talk to the owners. You know, to talk to Mrs. Desai. If we just rewind back, when um, Rovers went to Puna, um God, that sound Was it eighteen months ago? When or yeah, was it longer?
0: November two thousand eleven. Yeah. Where are we? Where are we?
1: It's
0: 2013 now, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so about eighteen months ago. When, yeah,
0: November two thousand eleven was it?
1: Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was eleven twelve season, wasn't it? Yeah, so, so your, know, th- when they went to Pune, uh, is your, know, Battersby and Curry went out as well, and they had a chat with Mrs Desai and, uh, I think Balaji was in that meeting as well, and they spent hours talking to her, and she was very very impressed. By what they had to say, and she was very, very keen uh, for them to help her and and to to get involved with running the club. So they both came back expecting, you know, for, uh, you know, she was absolutely mega impressed by what what they were saying, and and she was very open to the ideas that they were putting forward. And you know, she said, "Right, when you go back, we'll set up meetings and we'll we'll take this forward and." Thank you very much, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So all very, very positive. Uh, they came back, and since then nothing. You know, uh, they've tried contacting her. They've tried. You know, I've tried contacting her on on the on their behalf through my sources, and uh, nothing. Completely, you know, completely ignoring them since then. Now, you know, the theory is maybe someone told us something about them, which is. Not true, or someone's done a job on them in terms of turning the owners against them. I don't know, but it's been a complete, you know, completely blanking them. So you know, Ilyas Khan got involved last May, and you know, they they want to buy the club. They had the finances in place, um, and again, they tried to approach Ivenki's, and again, they were ignored. And you know, obviously, what's happened in the last week. With Appleton sacking uh, Seneca, you know they've got. They're a wealth management company. You know they work with, you know, people with a lot of money, and they've got that side of things all sorted. You know they've got some really serious investors ready to put money into, uh, you know, into buying the club. So they've got it like investor group, and and they've got the money in place. And uh, Ian and uh, the two Ian's would head up this investor group uh, to to buy the club. So, I, you know, Ian's got some very high-level sport for, for this now. Particularly after what's happened in the last uh, week or so, they've got some, uh, you know, absolutely high-level sport from you know some high-level people. I can't say who they are because. I need to check with with Ian whether he's happy for me to put it out there but they have got a high level sport and they're now going to push forward and make a really concerted effort to get Venky's to sell the club and uh, you know they've got some strategies in place and they've got these high level people prepared to work with them and to put some pressure on on Venky's to for, you know to, for them to sell the club, and uh, they're hoping they can get Mr. De to engage with them, and and see if they can sort a deal out. Uh, but they're deadly serious about buying buying Rovers and getting it back under local ownership, and 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 you know take take it from there. They do want to look at the finances to see what the debt levels etc. are before they, they commit to it, because at the end of the day, it's not their money, they're they investing it for, for these people. But, um, you know, they're, a ve- they're very, very serious about buying Rovers. But um, at the moment, they're not getting, you know, engagement with the owners. Yeah.
0: yeah. There's also been some suggestions that the Walker Trust should be held accountable, at least in some part, for, for what's happened, uh, and that they should, uh, uh, in, in some way, try to force a sale. By claiming that the uh, uh, the terms uh, under which the club was sold to the Venkers uh, have been uh, have been broken, um, have you any thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, the Walker Jack um, set up the Walker Trust to protect his legacy. You know, not just with Rovers, but with the, all the other companies that he had. So they were there to protect Jack's legacy to keep these companies going and and uh, to look after them. Unfortunately, uh, the Walker Trust's disastrous decision to to sell to Venkis has pretty much destroyed you know Jack's legacy. you know we, we love Jack, you know fans will will always remember what he did for the club, but the people he left behind to you know in charge of looking after Rovers, they failed him. And uh, you know what I find very very surprising is the wall of silence that the the Walker Trust, uh, you know, they've not made any comment uh, since the sale of the club. You know, they haven't said, when you, they're doing what they," you know, they must have an opinion, but the the trust have been absolutely mute. Uh, uh, it, and you know, to fans, it looks like they've taken the money and run. Uh, so it's you know the Walker Trust really do now need to come out and and you know let the feelings be known about what's happened and if they have any legal powers and avenue you know, I don't know uh, whether they do if they can do something under the the terms uh, of of sale if they've broken these terms and there's some legal um, uh, avenue that they can take then then um, you know. I really hope that that they do it, but uh, I think the Walker trust owe it to jack and and to the fans and and to the club to to say right you know we we um we we're, we're going to make a statement and, and take it from there
0: yeah uh, we'll keep our eye on the uh, takeover uh, news very very carefully. Uh, but uh, in the meantime, we've uh, we've got this uh, question of who's going to manage the club in the long term. Gary Boyer, as you say, is in the caretaker role, uh, even though the club haven't actually officially stated so. Um, Gary Boyer was supposed to be looking after the uh, management throughout the January transfer window, uh, and uh, his term was cut short by the appointment of Michael Appleton. Uh, that was kind of the beginning of the friction between uh, Sheby and uh, Sean Agnew, uh, if you recall. Now uh, Gary Boyer is back in the caretaker role, uh, probably till the end of the season by the look of things. Um, Cami, is is it conceivable again for you that? Uh, we we could have a new manager in, in place uh, before the end of the season or do you think it's more likely that uh, Venkis will wait until the summer uh, and then uh, look at their options then?
1: Um, I mean, I'm told that a statement will be coming out at some point uh, which will confirm that um, Gary Boy is going to be the manager until the end of the season so I'd expect that to be the case, you know they put a statement out. Nine games left. That he's going to be in charge till the end of the season. Um, whether he wants the job long term, I don't know. Uh, whether they want him to be the manager long term, again, we don't know. It really depends on who's in charge of you know bringing the new manager. Is it Shebby? Is it you know the owners? If they've got some other advisors, so I think it's too early to say. You know who's going to be the new manager and what they're going to do next. Because I don't think that even they know what what they want to do uh, at the end of the season. But I'm pretty sure now that they'll um, you know keep um, Boyer as manager until the end of the season, unless someone like Adkins, uh, Nigel Adkins, someone that high caliber, uh, or maybe Mark Hughes indicates that they want the job. Maybe then they might think well. This is an opportunity, and it's a top top manager who wants the job. We can't really afford to wait till the end of the season. If something like that happens, maybe so, but uh, I think that's highly unlikely. Uh, from what I'm told, Adkins will probably become the Reading manager. Uh, now that Gus Poet seems to have rejected them, I think Adkins. He, he you know he's already been interviewed by Reading, and I suspect he's. Now, the favourite to get that job, so we could probably rule him out. So, unless a high profile manager indicates that they want the job, I think it's Gary's until the end of the season. If he does a really good job, uh, you know, wins games, you know, who knows, he might be offered it full time. But whether he wants it or not, that's 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 a completely different. Question
0: it would have to be crazy to take it on full time, wouldn't it?
1: Yeah, I mean, to be honest, anyone would be. Unless you, any decent manager, so someone like Adkins, games etc., I don't think they'd I wouldn't want to come to Rovers because your reputation could be ruined. <laughs> you know. You know, the, you know, we sack managers left, right and centre now and so you know, any manager would, would of any decent calibre would I would assume, you know, think about it twice or, you know, they'd have reservations about joining Rovers because of all the crazy stuff that's going on. So if that does happen then we're only likely to ever get two kind of managers a desperado, someone who can't get a job anywhere, is desperate to get back in the game, or we get an up and coming manager who's you know who's willing to take the risk because they wanna move on and they see Rovers as potentially a club that, you know, could help further their create ambition so uh, so we'll either get a desperado type manager or an up and coming one who potentially be good but it could turn out to be a disaster so you know that's how I would view things but you know we'll, we'll just have to see wait and see
0: yeah
1: on the other hand someone might think well I'll just go there two months and they'll sack me and I'll get a big payout you know you just, uh, you just don't know yeah
0: yeah Danny Murphy um he's uh, been sidelined by Mike Appleton um now that uh, Shebby's back on the scene uh do you see uh, the rehabilitation of uh, Danny Murphy do you see him coming yeah. back into the team
1: yeah he was back in training you know, on tuesday and wednesday so uh, i expect him to be back in the squad you know um he's Performances lifted from really bad to just bad or semi-good under Boyer last time. So he he, he played some decent stuff under Boyer. So maybe you know uh, Gary, Gary Boyer can get uh, the best out of him. Um, but I would expect him now to be back in the squad at least because with under Appleton he'd been completely sidelined.
0: There has been a, a suggestion, purely a rumour, so I'll throw it out there. Uh, someone suggesting that uh, Murphy's contract says that he must play if he's fit. Uh, is that is that possible that you can put that kind of thing in a contract?
1: Yeah, I've heard I've heard of contracts like that where players have you know, had a clause in there that that they must play. But whether Murphy has it or not, again, I, honestly, I don't know. Um, um, you know. He's been fit for the last few weeks and he hasn't played, so so I don't know. But um, with the people at Rovers negotiating these contracts, anything is possible. Um, I have heard of those kind of contract clauses in the past. I don't think ever for a Rovers player, but within the game I've heard. Uh, so yeah, those kind of clauses do exist. Some players have had them in contracts, but whether Murphy has it or not, I honestly don't know.
0: And there was also a uh, suggestion uh, that he had a two-year contract that uh, could be extended to a, a third year. Uh, have you read that?
1: Yeah, and and again, I don't have confirmation, but that does make sense because uh, he did turn down QPR and a number of other Premier League clubs. So so that would make sense for, for him because you're here Potentially, he was being offered a three-year contract, you know, two years plus another year, uh, on, on very decent wages. So, you know, player will always look, you know, financial security. So, with his age, to be offered that kind of contract, maybe that's why he dropped out to, to the championship ahead of, uh, you know, some Premier League clubs.
0: Hmm. Yeah. And uh, Murphy has been stripped of his captaincy. Uh, do you think that he'll uh, be reappointed uh, as captain? Uh, Scott Dan has taken over, of course, in the meantime.
1: Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how Boyer deals with that situation because um, Dan's been playing very well. Uh, and since you know, the couple of games he was captain, again, his performances went up on other levels. So, we you know... If you strip the captaincy of him now, then he might get angry. <laughs> so it'd be interesting. I think the the difference this time when is when Berg got sacked, the players were really unhappy with what was going on. Berg didn't assert his authority, and and the players thought that there were other people involved uh, in controlling the football side of things. It seemed. So when he got sacked, they were they were pretty low. Uh, and And Gary Boyer came in, so he his job was easier because the players were on the floor anyway and and he was able to lift them, get morale up a little bit and and that translated in some better performances which which got us some you know some wins this time round it's uh, very different. The vast majority of players liked appleton uh they liked his honesty. Uh, they liked some of the techniques he was putting into place, and and they were, f- you know, apart from maybe one or two exceptions, they were all behind him. So he's coming into a com- boy is coming into a completely different situation this time, where the players are angry at what's happened, uh, you know, with Appleton being sacked and the the image of the club, etc. So it's it's very different to when Berg was sacked. So. It'll be interesting to see how he deals with that situation. Uh, and obviously, we're, we're in a relegation battle now, so so it's absolutely critical that he can hit the ground running. But I think the situation is very different to, to when he took over from Berg, and it'll be interesting to see how he deals with it.
0: Yeah. Now, uh, another player uh, who's uh, been in a difficult kind of political Political situation is David Dunn. Now that Sheby is returned, uh, do you see him being sidelined?
1: Oh, if he's sidelined, then you you, you can guarantee that Sheby who's who's picking the the team and the squad because on his performances over the last few weeks, you know, against Millwall and against Burnley, uh, absolutely no chance that 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 uh, Dunn should be sidelined. He's been our best player really uh, against Burnley and against Millwall. So he should be starting, you know, he should be the first name on, on, on the team sheet. And if he isn't, and then, you know, you've got to say that it's because other people are controlling things and that'll really uh, open up a can of worms. So I don't expect him to be dropped. Um, And if he is, then really serious questions will be asked uh, about who's actually picking the squad, etc. The only other thing is, again, it was reported in, I think it was Daily Mirror, that Chevy was looking at the uh, terms of the loan deals for Formica, Ricina and Rosado to see uh, if um, there was anything in there that could allow Rovers to uh, recall them. So, again, that's something that we'll have to watch. Uh, I don't think there will be uh, anything in there because these loan deals are pretty straightforward. They're standard type of contracts, and, and I don't think with with the way Appleton was running things, I don't think he would have put in a clause or requested a a callback clause because he he wanted to take the team in a different direction and bring different players in. So I don't think there will be anything in there that allows uh, Rovers to um, um, recall. Uh, those, those plays?
0: Well, we'll have to see what happens. The Blackpool match is on Good Friday, that's this coming Friday, the 29th of March, It's a 3 o'clock kick-off and uh, that's followed by uh, Easter Monday game on the 1st of April uh, against Cardiff away. Uh, again, that's a 3 o'clock kick-off. Well, that's all we have time for today. Um, Cami is Is there anything else that you have to add?
1: Yeah, having said the club hadn't released a statement about Boyer, Um, it's not on the official website yet, but uh, I believe that the following statement is going to be released uh, regarding Gary Boyer, and I'll read it. It's only two paragraphs. Okay. Uh, The club wishes to reiterate that Gary Boyer will again take charge of the first team as caretaker manager until the end of the season. It is important for the club that everyone at the club and the fans once again show their support for Gary and the first team as we seek to end the season on a high note.
0: Uh, A high note being avoid relegation, I presume?
1: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Um, So it's a very short, concise statement, which if you read it, uh, well, on face value, it's saying that um, Boyer will be in charge until the end of the season yeah,
0: that makes sense
1: it's it still ha- what we are half past 11 UK time on, on Friday night it still hasn't been put on the official website but I believe that's the statement that will eventually appear on on, on the um, official website
0: right, good. well thank you for that breaking news um, so if uh, we just uh, round up there for today's podcast Uh, Grant Hanley has uh, scored his first goal for Scotland Did you manage to see the game at all?
1: Yeah, I started watching the England game But seeing as we were, I think, 4-0 up (laughs) at half-time I switched over to uh, the Scotland-Wales game And uh, Grant Hanley scored from a corner um, To put Scotland 1-0 up Um, They had a player sent off um, Snodgrass, I think it was uh, and he, he gave a penalty away at the same time. Wales equalised, and I think pretty much straight from kickoff it looked, seemed they went two one up. Uh, then they were reduced to ten men as well with Aaron Ramsey sent off. Uh, Jordan Rhodes came on for the last five or six minutes, and but they went down two one. But yeah, Grant had a defensively he made a few mistakes, uh, but uh, particularly in the first half an hour. But I think that goal seemed to settle him down and, and he was really good in the second half. so so well done to him.
0: Well, in other news, uh, the Rovers Trust have their elections coming up as nominations for the committee uh, are to be in by the end of March. Uh, we'll be discussing uh, the Rovers Trust uh, in a forthcoming podcast. but uh, for today that's, uh, that's all we have time for. I'd just like to thank Gammy for coming on. Thanks ever so much, Gammy.
1: Yeah, thank you, Ben. And, uh, you know, hopefully when we do the next one, we might be a bit positive about things. <laughs> uh, but, um, I mean, I think it's our own fault. Uh, last podcast we said it was great that we were concentrating on on-the-field stuff. <laughs> uh, and uh, obviously it's all gone awry since.
0: Yeah, um, basically, it's uh, just a case of of, of waiting. Um, you know that uh, something's going to hit the fan at uh, at some point. Uh, there's no no telling when with this uh, with this lot. Well, thanks for joining us, Cammy. Uh, it's been great to uh, hear what you have to say about what's going on at the club. Uh, we hope that you'll be able to join us uh, in the next podcast and give us an update on what's happening. Well, that's all we have time for today. And uh, just like to say uh, thanks to everyone for listening in, and wherever you are in the world, please do take good care. Thank you.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the ninetieth minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You win? At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk Sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.